Good morning. It is so good to see you here this morning. Uh, we have several guests who are with us and guests. We want you to know we're honored to have you and we want you back. We want you as a part of this church family. And if there's something you need from, from us, let us know. And I would also tell you that, that uh, if you become a part of this family, we'll let you know when there's something we need from you because that's what it means. We're here for one another. And we want to continue to journey together. All of you who are still at home know that we're here. We've got your back. We're here for you. We look forward to whenever it is that we get to see you again. Uh, okay, so Ronan may have already gone to the nursery at this point. One of the joys about now starting to have folks coming back and having more kids here is getting to hear the kids in the middle of the service. So one-year-old Ronan Binkley, I happen to uh, have a great seat right up here. After every single song we sang, and some of you in this section could all hear it, after every song, he would let out a, a hearty one-year-old amen. And it was fantastic. And I hesitated to share that because everyone would want my seat, but then I realized, no, it's at the front. No one wants my seat. I'm totally safe. Uh, you'll never take that and go ahead and try. Try to take it from me because I want to be near Ronan as he says amen. But it is wonderful. So as we started several weeks ago, every week I'm having one of our graduating seniors come up and read our scripture for us. And so this morning from Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, if you want to open your Bible, Reagan Ballou, all-state soccer player Reagan Ballou, is going to read for us. So come on up here and read. That'll also be on the screen behind me. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Thank you, Reagan. Stan told me after Reagan was uh, recognized as an all-state soccer player that her speaking fee just went up. And so um, to our finance committee, I hope I didn't speak out of tune, but I said we would double what we normally pay the, the people who come and read Scripture. So Johnny, if you guys, Amber, if y'all can take care of that, uh, I committed us to double. So I'm not very good at math. I don't know what that comes out to, but you guys can figure it out. Okay, so as you know, we've gone through a rough year, and it's not just been the pandemic, but there's been a lot of other things that we've gone through, including last summer, you may recall that all throughout the western part of the United States, there were massive wildfires. And that seems to be a regular occurrence that's happening almost every summer now. But they were intense. And there was one five-year-old boy in Oregon named Carver. And when he started to hear about the wildfires, and he started to hear about the firefighters who were going out there and putting their lives on the line to fight those fires. Then he asked his grandmother if they could do something. Is there something we can do for these firefighters? And his grandmother had heard about 
a food drive and a, you know, an essentials drive that they were collecting in Oregon for the firefighters. And so she said, yes, we can go. And they went to the store and she took Carver and they got some food and they gathered a few others, uh, other essentials. But as five-year-olds will do, when he was at the store, he started begging to go to the toy section. And so she said, okay, let's, let's go to the toy section. And when they did, all Carver could think about was this guy that you'll see in the picture here. Okay, the Carter boys are here. Carter boys shouted out, who are we looking at here? Baby Yoda. Goes by many other names he does. So Baby Yoda is one. Grogu is one. The child is one. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, you might have looked and you're like, that kind of looks like Star Wars, Star Wars Universe. It is, but it's not Yoda. It is Baby Yoda from the new show on Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. See, The Mandalorian, okay, never mind. I won't get into all of that. You can watch it if you want. You can leave it if you don't. But uh, Carver was determined to get baby Yoda. But he didn't want him for himself. He decided what these frontline workers really needed was a friend. And so when his grandmother dropped off all the food and the other essential items that she purchased, he decided, you know what else is essential? Baby Yoda. And he put it in the, the donation box. And they sent it off. And it took a couple of days. And when he sent it, he also included this letter, which reads, Thank you, firefighters. Here is a friend for you in case you get lonely. Love, Carver. So when Baby Yoda made it to the firefighters, he was a massive hit. They liked the food. They liked the other essentials. They loved baby Yoda. They talked about him as, as a little bit of sunshine in a really dark time. And he was what baby Carter hoped he would be. He was a reminder of the people who were uh, in their corner. And so here's just a few pictures. And they started a Baby Yoda Fights Fires Facebook page. And they would post pictures. Uh, he helped with planning sessions, as you can see. He made the rounds, different units, not just all over Oregon, but started traveling to California and Colorado and, and uh, up in Washington State. He was on the front lines fighting fires, you can see in this next photo. He was on the road. This one is on his way to Colorado. This last one I love, he was up in the plane or the helicopter, I don't know which. He was in the air getting the bird's eye view. Baby Yoda was everywhere, and he did precisely what Carver hoped he would do. He provided a little friendship as these people were away from friends and family and their kids because they remembered not just five-year-old Carver who was in their corner, who had their back, but they remembered that there was a whole host of people, even if they couldn't be there, 
who remembered them and appreciated them, were thinking about them, praying for them, looking out for them. And one of the many lessons that I think a lot of us have learned over the last 15 months or so, if we ever forgot, is how critical it is to know that we've got people in our corner. Whether we are able to stay close with them or whether we are having to quarantine away from them, it is so important, especially in a time when a lot of people have struggled with a sense of isolation and loneliness to know even when we're separated, there are people that have our back. There are people that are in our corner that care, that love us, that will walk with us in this journey And what's interesting to me is to to remember all the times when Jesus wanted people in his corner. Now we know, as we've read through the gospel story, that there's a whole host of different numbers of people who would surround Jesus. There were the massive numbers of people at times as he's feeding thousands and thousands He had smaller groups of people who would follow. We know about the 12. But if you've read through the story, then you also remember that Jesus had his own small group, a special collection of friends that he would pull with him on different acts of ministry. So when Peter's mother-in-law is being healed by Jesus, Jesus takes with him his group of three. Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus goes to heal a young girl, a daughter of a leader of the synagogue named Jairus, he takes those three. Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus goes up on a mountain to have this summit with Moses and Elijah, these two great figures from the Old Testament who represent the law and the prophets. We often describe that as the mountain of transfiguration, but you remember they weren't alone up there. He takes the three, Peter, James, and John. And what's interesting is most of the time we're not told why he continues to pull them along. And so people speculate, was this a way for additional specialized training? A sort of mentorship where he's taking these three under his wing because he knows they're going to rise to a special place of prominence, especially after he's gone. And that certainly may be a part of it. There may be some training that goes on. If you read much of the story about Peter and James and John, you may think that from time to time Jesus takes them along for comic relief because those guys, more than any other, have the tendency to put their foot in their mouth. So maybe he just finds them amusing. I'm going to take you along. Or maybe he's like, man, you need extra work. you got to have some extra time with me. I'm going to help you out. And, and all of those could be part of it, but it's the passage that Reagan met, uh, read from Matthew 26 
that suggests that maybe something else is at stake. That Jesus is bringing them along not just because they need it sometimes, but because Jesus needs it sometimes. He's leaning on them. He's counting on them. We all need somebody to lean on, even the Messiah. So the passage from Matthew 26 is right after the upper room and right after the institution of the Last Supper, which means it's the final hours before the denials and the betrayal, before the trial and the beatings, before the crucifixion and His death. And all of that is hanging over Him like a dark cloud. And so Jesus heads to Gethsemane, the garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And it's a place where He and His disciples have gone before perhaps multiple times, which is why Judas knows where to go in the midst of that betrayal. And Jesus is going there to pray and to think and to wrestle with what's ahead. And He's also going there to wrestle with God about what's ahead. And you may remember that agonizing moment and those agonizing prayers that Jesus repeats when He falls on His face to the ground and He prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from Me. Yet not what I will, but You will. And we learn Jesus prays that same prayer two more times. This is an excruciating time for Jesus. And that pain and that difficulty is going to get worse before it gets better. And we all have those times in life that we have to face, that we have to wrestle with, that we know we cannot pass the buck. We can't put it off. There are certain things we have to go through. And we also know there are certain things that we have to go through that no one else can take from us. It is a struggle. It is a pain. It is an obstacle that if we have to face and we can't go around it and no one can take it from us, but it doesn't mean we have to go it alone. Those times, for those of you who went through chemo, no one else could do that chemo, but you didn't have to go by yourself. You had someone drive you. You had someone sit with you. You had someone sit with you after it was all done. Those times when a marriage is falling apart and you're headed toward divorce or you're walking through divorce and no one else can take it from you, but you don't have to go through that alone. There have been people who walk with you and hold your hand and say, I'm going to be with you through all of this. Those times when you have a parent who is aging and the roles have been reversed. And long ago they took care of you and now it's your time to take care of them. And others can't do all of that, but they can walk with you as you go through those times. All of those times 
when we hit those places in life that we can't avoid, we can't go around. And others say, I can't take it for you, but I can walk with you. And I will be here every step of the way. And here Jesus is on the precipice of the cross. Something in the end that He yields Himself to. This is the way. It's not what I want. Father, it's what You want. He knows what lies ahead, but He doesn't want to be alone as He prepares for this thing that He ultimately has to do alone. And He doesn't have to be. So He brings His friends He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Whatever reasons Jesus took the three with Him at other times on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter's mother-in-law is being healed, when Jairus' daughter is being healed, maybe those were to benefit them. But this time, Jesus says, the text tells us, this was to benefit Jesus. Maybe it's helping them also, but He wants them there because listen to the description, sorrowful, troubled, soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so His request is simple, stay here and keep watch. Now, I realize a bit of the magic of that request is lost if you remember the rest of the story because these friends struggled to do what he asked them to do. They stay there. The keep watch part is a little difficult. They keep falling asleep, but that's for another time, another discussion. You can read that in the rest of the text. I just want to come back to that basic need that all of us has that Jesus exposes here, and that is we all need somebody to lean on. Even the Messiah. Being a friend doesn't always mean we can ride to the rescue. So put your sword away, Peter. That's not what he needs right now. It doesn't mean taking someone else's burden away, and that's often impossible. But as the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 6, we can help others carry their load. And what Jesus reminds us is that being there for each other and helping each other may be as simple as just showing up, being present, and as best we can, be alert, pay attention, see what's going on, so that during a time when they can't watch their own back, they know they've got someone who's doing it for them. So, last week, if you were here or if you watched online, I talked about 2014 April when a tornado came through the western part of Little Rock and it moved up through Mayflower. And I actually showed a picture 
of a neighborhood in Mayflower. And last week, for those at home, you couldn't see the picture, just the beautiful picture that I painted with my words, which meant you couldn't see the picture. But this week, hopefully you're seeing it right now, and this is part of that neighborhood in Mayflower, where on one side of the street, houses were leveled. On the other side, houses were intact. And so I described that tornado that came through. And after the service, in the foyer, one of our members, Tyler Hall, came up to me and he said, that's my parents' neighborhood. That's the house that I grew up at. Now, Tyler was in college at the time, so he wasn't there. But when that tornado came through, and Tyler's folks are here this morning, and they're fact-checking everything I say, they're going to be like, that is not at all what happened by the end. Preacher embellishment, let's say. Hopefully, I've got the facts right. But Tyler said he called his folks when he saw where the tornado was headed. And he got on the phone with his mom and they left their house and they had a detached garage that was just down the hill a little ways. And I don't know if there was a storm shelter or if it was just a better location to be when a tornado struck. But he's on the phone with his mom as the tornado is going through their neighborhood and he's checking on them. And at one point during the phone call, she says, okay, I I think the storm has passed. I think the tornado has gone by. So I'm going to go out. I, I think it missed us. And she went out the door and looked out the house, and this is what she saw. She said, I was wrong. The house is gone. I've got to let you go. Totally devastated. You can see in the foreground of the picture, their house. In the background, you can see their neighbor's house, the neighbor that was behind them where their yards butted up against one another and they shared a fence. But that wasn't the only part of the story. After the storm, all the neighbors who had survived, it was time to come out of their shelters and to start to go door to door and check on one another. That was when the neighbors got to uh, start to look out for one another. But let me tell you one other part of the story. As the tornado was still coming their way, Tyler's dad went out on their back deck and he looked up at the sky and could see the tornado as it was headed. But he could also see, because their house was up on a hill, he could see into the yard of his neighbor's house down the way. And he could see that his neighbor was out on his back deck looking up at the sky, but his neighbor happened to be looking in a direction where he couldn't see the tornado. It was coming from behind him. So he started yelling to his neighbor, you got to get in your house you've got to get in your storm shelter or in your inner room. And so his neighbor went in just in time and his whole family went in and they got in their protected place and the halls got in theirs. And so when the storm had passed, when the tornado had passed and they came out and they started going door to door to check on one another, then they went and checked on that neighbor who survived only because of the warning 
of the halls, but were also trapped by debris. And so neighbors started to help neighbors and remove the debris that was keeping them trapped in their shelters. So I would suggest to you that after the year that we have gone through, and with all the things that people are still going through right now, if you have not done it already, it's time to start to go door to door. To check on your neighbors, your, your literal neighbors who live next to you. How are you doing? How was this experience? Is there anything I can do for you? And to check on your figurative neighbors, your friends, life group members, other people at church you didn't see for a year, they didn't see you for a year, and you're wondering, hey, was someone going to check on me? And there's a chance that some of them were wondering the same thing. Is someone going to check on me? This is the time. If you are venturing out, to start to look out for those who are still stuck, who are stuck in those places of fear, who have the debris of anxiety that has them trapped. For all the people it's time to check on who've lost jobs, or they didn't lose their job, but they lost part of their income because they were furloughed for a while, or their business took a hit, it's time to go door to door and check on your neighbor and see how they're doing, whether how they're doing emotionally or how they're doing spiritually. You don't have to pry, just be a presence and be a non-judgmental presence. Someone who's ready not to give all the prescriptions for how they re-enter life, but who's just willing to listen and keep watch and let them know that you've got their back and they've got your back. It's time to be the hands of Jesus. It's time maybe for some people again to extend the hug of Jesus. Because even the non-huggers in here after 15 months are like, oh, okay, I can do that. I'm okay with that. A little bit of physical contact. That wouldn't be so awful after the last year. I say some of you. There are still some who are like, this 15 months has been the best thing ever. No physical contact is a gift to me. Okay, we'll try to, we'll respect your space. But there are others who are like, bring it on. I need that handshake. I, I need that hug. I need that contact. We all need each other. In fact, here's a quick exercise. I, I want you to think for just a moment. Who's someone in your life? Maybe over the last 15 months, maybe it's over the last 15 years, who's someone in your life who's had your back? Give them a call this week. Shoot them a text. If you pull out your phone right now and start texting, I won't be offended. Let them know. I was thinking about you, and I can't help but remember the ways that you've had my back. I appreciate you. And while you're at it, I also want you to think right now. Add this to the exercise. 
Who's someone who you could reach out to right now in compassion and kindness? Shoot them a text. Give them a call this week. Drop them a letter or a card and say, hey, I'm just checking on you. How you doing? Don't wait on that. Be proactive. Find ways to be a neighbor and be courageous enough to let others know if you could really use a neighbor, a friend, right now. Because there are people who are willing to do it, but they just don't always know. We can't read your mind. Let us know. And we've told you, we've got shepherds of the church who are going to be reaching out, but you don't have to wait. You can reach out to them or you can call someone else. Give me a call. We're here for you. So I want to circle back and I want to tell you one other part of the story of the halls as I bring this to a conclusion this morning. Their house was leveled. Their neighbor's house behind them was leveled. And so then the rebuild begins, right? And there are a lot of people in the rebuild process. And eventually both houses were rebuilt. And one of the last things you start to do often in that process is it's time for those yards where the fence had gone down for the fence to be put back up. But the Hall's neighbors did something interesting. They had a pool in the back of their yard. I don't know if it was there before. They put it in afterward. But they decided this time when this fence is put up, we're adding a gate. And you can see it circled, just a little sliver of light there. And it was an homage to the ways that they had been there for them, that they had watched their back. And it's a way to say, hey, you've got access to our pool, but I think it's a great symbol to say, we've got access to you as neighbors. And you've got access to us as well. It makes connection just a little easier. And here's my suggestion. As you start to rebuild, if you haven't already, and, and you put back together your life and others put back together theirs, and the places where there had been fences, think about a gate. You can, you can still have your boundaries. You've got your life and they've got theirs, but create some more access points. Make it a little easier to be a neighbor and to receive a neighbor. Make it a little easier to check on them and let them check on you. Make the conversation and connection just a little bit smoother because that is why we're called together as a church. We can do worship through videos. But it sure is hard to do life together if we don't have places of connection. And here's what Jesus reminds us. Even the Messiah needs somebody to lean on sometimes.